Hello there, and welcome back to the Meaningful Media Podcast. It's the first episode of our Media Leaders series, where we speak with changemakers, thought leaders, and senior talent to understand their journey, ask them to take the pulse of the media industry, and share their insight and expertise on the road ahead. So to launch the Media Leaders series, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Mansfield, VP of Global Media at Unilever and Vice President of ISBA. Sarah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. I've been here before, though, haven't I? Well, um, Sarah, Sarah's <laughs> giving us a, uh, a peek behind the scenes at how the, how the podcasting sausage is made. Uh, we had some recording issues, so we're very pleased to be doing this in person. So thank you, Sarah. Yes, thank you. So let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in media? Can you share that with us? I didn't start in media. I started in uh, marketing communications, working for different communications agencies. Oh, I always forget Great Universal Stores. Yes, so I started work at Great Universal Stores. So I started working for a mail-order catalogue company doing what was called direct marketing at that point in time. It's now called performance marketing. It's still the same thing. Quickly moved um, from Manchester down to London and joined um, the world of marketing communications agencies and doing various kind of account handling and planning roles for a whole range of clients. The last uh, HC I worked for was McCann Erickson, based out of Manchester, working for, I mean, I don't think as an industry sector, I didn't probably work in lots of financial sector clients, DPS, um, which is the, sorry, UPS, TUI. And then I moved on to work for Barclays in retailing, launched mobile payments, contactless payments to the UK, and yeah, and then found myself at Unilever about 10 years ago. And uh, I came into media, actually my time at Barclays. So it was, um, and I was at Barclay Cards. I was um, kind of head of communications there and that kind of involved advertising and all things media. And uh, when it came to building brands at Barclays, me into the um, media team and the media role at Unilever and uh, where I am now. So something I want to take from your your journey there you talked about marketing communications and mm-hmm. very specifically that being a, a important and and significant right and sometimes we talk on the podcast about how customer experience media experiences sometimes our language but it's broader than just thinking about media and i think you kind of highlighted that in in your journey perhaps yeah so if you just think about media it's very very siloed mm-hmm. you know you're kind of thinking about one channel and another it's about holistic communications planning it's about putting the consumer at the heart of everything that we do mm-hmm. starting with our audiences starting with clear consumer insights and developing media communications plans to begin with that are then translate into execution as it were so um you know don't start with thinking oh, i'm going to put an ad on TikTok. you know start with who's the audience i want to target um, you know, what media are they consuming? What are my jobs to be done? And then work back from there. Mm-hmm. Think about the marketing communications architecture yeah. rather than just, hey, exactly. here's the channel or the particular ad exactly. slot. Yeah. Yeah. Your experience at Barclays really fascinated me. We, we talked a little bit about that when we were preparing for, for the podcast. And you, you were involved in a really interesting marketing communications challenge there, which some of our Gen Z listeners, and we do have quite a few Gen Z, Gen Z subscribers, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be necessarily familiar with. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, everybody knows about tap to pay. You know, everybody goes around tapping to pay these days. It's just a established behavior. But back when I was at Barclay Card, we launched the first contactless payment card, as it were. And that point in time, 
you know, the functionality didn't exist on any other cards in the retail banking sector. Um, as you know, when you go into a retail outlet, you need a terminal to be able to tap on to pay. That technology didn't exist in retailers. Barclay Card, you know, has a merchant side and a consumer side, so they produce cards and terminals. So we kind of had to make the two work in tandem. We had to get the terminals out into the marketplace. We had to get the cards into consumers' hands. You know, we talked about the five, six taps sort of behavior. You know, it's about embedding consumer behaviors, which is true of any, you know, sort of um, habit. Um, and that was true of contactless payments. You know, at that point in time, nobody knew how to tap to pay. Everybody was very, very concerned about the fraud and thought, you know, people would be able to just take money from your card by just walking down the street, you know, sort of like. So there were a lot of fraud issues we had to educate consumers about and you know, persuade them. Actually, it was a very super safe way of paying. And you had to have the terminals in retailers to pay. So, you know, yeah, it was really quite, it was a very, very complex challenge that you had to kind of address from a number of different angles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, a, a fascinating example of that kind of end-to-end marketing comms challenge. Yeah. Uh, and not only were you changing consumer behavior, you had to ensure that that behavior could work in the real world, right? Yeah. I found it fascinating that you, you kind of um, uh, call out like the importance of just getting the the, the actual terminals into stores mm. uh, because you can you have the best campaign in the world, but mm. if the uh, the product isn't there, if there isn't that that end to end fulfillment, mm. consumer experience just doesn't work. Yeah, but you know, in terms of kind of communications messages, you also have to remember, you know, in this world that actually, you know, the message you're putting out consumers, you know, anybody who's in a business is also a consumer, so. You know, where we were launching contactless payments to the world, it was okay. It was educating consumers about how to utilize the functionality and to make sure that they, you know, apply for a Barclay card that has this fabulous new, you know, way to pay. Um, but it was also about, you know, businesses seeing that, you know, we were out there, you know, sort of um, driving momentum for this project and, mm. you know, and educating them as much about the need to have the terminals in their stores in order to be able to facilitate payment you know, by these consumers are going to go coming in with their card yeah. and eventually their phone and wanting to tap to pay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a really, oh, I was a super exciting project and yeah, a real kind of, you know, first from any number of different angles and aspects. And uh, um, yeah, I had a really multifaceted, multitasked team that we kind of had to bring together to, um, you know, to launch it. But, you know, I mean, such is the journey of contactless payments. That was about eight years ago now, nine years ago. And it's only, it took COVID, didn't it, for contactless payments really to take off. I mean, now you just kind of, you know, if you, if you go in somewhere and it hasn't got a contactless terminal and you can't tap to pay, you just think, you know, it's like, well. So it's amazing to see kind of like how this, you know, this journey over the last sort of eight, nine years, yeah. Can we ask as a media leader what your headlines are and what our audience should be thinking about? So, I mean, from a media landscape, nothing gets any easier I think we might come on to touch on this, but transparency is very important when it comes to planning and buying our media mm-hmm. and um, accountability as well. And if you're an advertiser or if you're a media platform, in terms of you know being able to look yourself in the mirror at night and say, okay, did I do the best to to help support a media ecosystem that you know is uh, working for the good of society rather than bad a society be that come to you know supporting and funding terrorism to you know sort of child health and safety online um i think that's kind of critical it's becoming a bigger challenge for i think the industry as a whole that we need to solve for 
I think there's a lack of trust behind advertising that I don't think is going away. We don't have talked about that much recently, but I think consumers don't, you know, have fundamental underlying mistrust in kind of advertising generally that um, with a lot of um, misinformation online, I think is not becoming easier for brands. You know, with that as well, I think everybody um, wants to be seen as a sustainable and responsible brand. And I think there's a lot of claims out there that can't necessarily always be backed up. And I think sometimes consumers see through that. We talk about it as the brands say and the brand do. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be doing the do as well as the say mm-hmm. um, and following through on your actions. Because if you don't, then consumers see through you very, very quickly. So I think, you know, those are kind of three big themes. I think at the moment there are many, many others, I think, as marketers that we need to be leaning into at the moment and thinking about. Specifically to transparency in the ecosystem, I think there's a there's a real worry now around AI and misinformation made for advertising sites. And I wonder I wonder what your opinion on that is. Like, are we are we going to is this going to be the next kind of whack-a-mole thing we're gonna to have to deal with? Is is the explosion perhaps, or not an explosion, but uh, an increase in this this kind of content out there? Yeah, um, it's yeah, I mean, without doubt it's gonna be one of the next big challenges that we as an industry need to lean into. As always, the technology is moving on faster. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, developing, you know, policies or, you know, industry standards for how we 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 deal with this. So, yeah, without a doubt, it's going to be one of the big themes. So, and, you know, I know industry is already thinking about, you know, how do we actually authenticate yeah. you know, content and in a different way in order to be able to address this. So it would be interesting to see how that develops and it will become, yeah. yeah, a definite industry imperative along with many others. Definitely. I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of work being done on um, sort of watermarking of AI-generated things. Yeah. And, of course, we're very careful in, in media and marketing around using these technologies, uh, given the sort of, you know, bias, hallucination, and also copyright issues. Definitely. Yeah, all um, of those issues. Yeah. I'm, I, I just I, I, my concern is I think there's going to be bad actors who are going to are going to use this to further reduce the cost of generating content, and that's going to appear on the edge. Now, thankfully, due to leaders like yourself, we have started the work. It's not finished of uh, improving the media ecosystem, and I'm I'm optimistic that that improvement in the media ecosystem and the way we're placing certain types of ads will 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 stop that support. Yeah. Um- I'm less, less, less confident, to be honest. I think, you know, AI will allow a lot of uh, companies to produce lots of different content very quickly. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a lot of poor content, not good content that will be created in the industry as a whole. And if we go back to the challenge of trust in advertising... I think it's an issue. So because, you know, we ultimately see consumers like advertising and find value in it if the content is engaging and they find it relevant to them, you know, potentially, I mean, AI could, you know, improve relevancy if done in a responsible and, you know, and GDPR um, compliant manner. But, you know, in, in you know, it, it, it may not Mm. Who who knows? So I think you know, lots of watch outs there, and I think there's an opportunity for us to, you know, start knowing what the challenges and issues are potentially are to hopefully maybe to address them earlier than maybe we've done some of the other industry challenges in the past. But yeah, 
Thank you for that. Because I think I think it's a really important level set for us, which is everyone's excited by this. There's lots of innovation, but actually, the technology is going fast, is getting ahead, and and the the policy, the trust for the consumer, and the good ad experience should ground us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we Unilever, like many other, you know, companies, are looking at how we utilize this space to, you know, drive scale and efficiencies through how we produce. You know, advertising is a big cost sunk in terms of creating advertising. You know, we've already created ads for brands like Tresemme that would have been five days shooting. You know around the world, um, you know, so with a carbon footprint um, attached to it, you know, we shot in one day using, you know, one studio. So, you know, some big benefits potentially from AI as well. Um, so generative AI that can be had. Mm. Um, but it is about, you know, thinking advertisers and media platforms, media companies thinking, how do I use this responsibly again? I mean, that's going to be the key message and theme that comes back time and time Definitely. again. That's, that's really interesting, the, the, um, the idea of reducing the cost of production through using AI, mm-hmm. which, you know, is clearly versus uh, travel to location, um, multiple shoots, definitely an efficiency there. One of the things that I'm thinking about is the cost of compute, which, you know, doesn't seem... I'm not no expert, but it doesn't seem as transparent as some of the other platforms, right? Like we can go onto the cloud platforms and sort of see the, the cost of compute and the carbon impact. I'm I'm wondering if that's going to be a, a back to your point around like making the policy, thinking about that, not letting the technology get too far ahead. I wonder if that's going to be something we're going to consider in carbon calculators in, in the way the industry is thinking about emissions. Yeah, yeah. Again, well, we could, we could it's a separate about, podcast. We, that's a separate podcast, yes. Join us next week for that one. <laughs> So I think this this is a good moment to turn to Isbar, your vice president of Isbar. Can you tell us, not all of our listeners are based in the UK, although if they're not, they should be aware of Isbar because of its leadership role, I think, in our industry globally. Can you tell us a little bit about Isbar and your role there? Yeah. So first of all, it's a four-letter acronym. So it's the Institute of British Advertisers. So it's the industry body here in the UK that represents, um, it's, it's the one single voice representing advertisers. Um, here in the UK, it's the only trade body that's, that does that role here in the UK. And yeah, I'm one of two global vice presidents um, for um, for Is- ISBAR. So, and yeah, I've been working with ISBAR for about 10 years since I joined Unilever. The the value that it creates and it adds to the industry is punches well above its weight mm-hmm. in terms of, um, you know, help, um, lobbying government on key industry um, advertising um, challenges and issues to really champion greater transparency and accountability and you know in the through the media system ecosystem um so that we end up with a better media ecosystem and one more suitable for the purposes of both you know brands advertisers media owners platforms alike so again i mean hopefully a lot of our uh, our listeners are very familiar with uh, isbar and its work but can you give us an example of of some of the work that isbar have done Yes, yeah, so you touched on one, so supply chain transparency. Oh my God, you could go down a rabbit hole on that. But ultimately, there is a very, very big tech ecosystem that's involved in um, buying your advertising online. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not very transparent um, around how it works. There's many different parties involved. And ISBAR's been working with PwC on a project to basically provide better transparency across that supply chain. So when we buy an ad online, it doesn't immediately go to that app, that platform, that media platform, whatever it might be. I don't know, um, guardian.com 
Um, you know, it goes through a number of different intermediaries and, um, you know, tech platforms before it actually gets to, um, for that ad to be served on that website. And uh, you just don't know as an advertiser, um, kind of, you know, is exactly how many touch points there are in that um, supply chain. And there's a cost involved in that as well. Interesting. So, yeah, so um, uh, ISBAR's been working to drive a lot of transparency through that. So obviously, once you know what that supply chain looks like and where the potential challenges and issues are, then, you know, as an advertiser, you can look to um, look to cut out cost and drive efficiencies mm-hmm. in that respect. So that's one project. Cross-media measurement, I, I you know, I, I'm... Slight, it's, it's difficult, really. That's, again, another podcast in its own right. Um, but again, that's about driving more transparency through the media um, planning ecosystem. So at the moment, because you have things like Wall Garden, so likes of Meta and Google and Snap, you know, who you can plan and buy your media within those platforms and manage your reach and your frequency. But when, you know, as we talked about originally, we plan holistically across um, TV, digital, out of home, um, whatever it might be, um, and any number of different digital platforms, you know, across all of the different wall gardens, you know, open web as well. So those are platforms that sit outside the wall gardens, like Guardian, for example. I'm doing a lot of promotion for the Guardian today, aren't I? I should name a different the, is, one. Is it going to be in your meaningful media later? I do you read the Guardian, actually, but... Um, Financial Times or something like that, or whatever, whatever, whatever. The Sun, Daily Mail, whatever. Uh, whatever your media is a choice. Uh, yeah. Measurement. So, yeah, so cross-media measurement is about understanding. So um, being able to understand your unique reach and frequency of your media campaigns across all platforms. It sounds easy. Very, very, very complex. And once you know that, you can kind of plan your reach and frequency of your advertising based upon the outcomes you want to drive for. So super exciting, huge project, big, big project um, with a lot of various different stakeholders, media platforms, agencies, advertisers, um, you know, um, around the table and uh, driving this forward. And hopefully we will be going to alpha this year and to beta very early next year. So, yeah. For listeners who aren't based in the UK, check out Isbor anyway, check out the Knowledge, Knowledge Hub, Check out some of the Isbar articles. Check out Origin. Again, I'm not just shilling for this because I'm a Brit. Uh, Isbar does some some brilliant thinking and leadership in our industry. Thank you, Sarah, for that as well. Should take a moment to say. Can you talk a little bit about how the industry can work together to overcome obstacles? Obviously, Isbar does that. Isbar is where you lead. But what about more broadly? What What do you think we can do together? Yeah, I think, you know, we can solve huge, great big challenges, problems if we work together as an industry, I think. And, you know, I mean, another example of that is something called another four letter acumen, GOM, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, which again is a, you know, cross, um, you know, um, stakeholder body of uh, media platforms, advertisers, media agencies who are all trying to utilise their media influence, as it were, and their influence generally to um, build a more transparent and a more, you know, more trust around the digital ecosystem and um, solve for um, issues like misinformation, brand safety, and provide more transparency around what the platforms are doing to um, deal with these big challenges and issues. So. Mm. I think the work of Garm and the WFA is is really important in the sense that 
advertisers bring a lot of investment to to the table, but also just you know expertise in in building brands and and I think building culture, right? So mm-hmm. to have this group together to work with platforms to to work in an accountable fashion with the platforms. Yeah, well. and it, it's a partnership though. Yeah. I mean, those platforms sit at that table as well. So I mean, it's you know how as an industry, a collective industry, a very 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 smart people mm. from a number of different skill sets can solve big, big, hairy challenges mm-hmm. that, you know, as a as one individual advertiser, media platform or whatever media agency, you know, we can never solve for. So, um, you know, better solving for things as a collective. Of course, one of the hairiest is uh, the climate crisis. Yes. So AdNet Zero now uh, working with underneath Garm. Yeah, uh, which is very exciting. So yes. to to move forward. Yes. So that's about you know obviously our media emissions we create through advertising is significant. Another big challenge for us, and you know how do we get measurement standards to begin with so yeah. that we're measuring apples with apples. So measurement you know, again. Measurement again is consistent theme. You know so that the carbon footprint. I don't know that. Um, you know, one media platform is is reporting is exactly the same as another. Um, and, um, you know, so we need industry standards to be able to do that because how you do it, so the methodology you use, the scope of where you stop and where you start. So what is advertising responsible for? So that's what Garm's looking to do at the moment um, in conjunction, say, with the um, AdNet Zero group. Yeah. And then separately, you know, we as advertisers then need to say, okay, all right, well, what actions could we be taking? And again, the WFA has a great resource, um, you know, called um, on their website with kind of 10 key actions that, mm. you know, we as advertisers, agencies um, alike can be looking to, um, in the short term, you know, be able to take to at least, you know, make a start in saying, okay, what we're doing is consciously trying to reduce the level of emissions that we're um, creating as a media industry um, you know, and then hopefully the, the measurement standards will come off the back of that. So, mm. but yeah, lots to do in that space. Yeah, it's, um, and we, you know, we're lucky to have leaders like you, leaders like the WFA, GOM, um, and uh, and ISBAR uh, bringing everyone together on that. I was thinking about the, you know, if you look at the science-based target initiatives right up for the finance industry, it, it runs to, you know, nearly 200 pages or something ridiculous. And per, per the conversations we've had about supply chains, sometimes we can almost be as complex, especially when we're thinking about like, scope three emissions. Oh my God, like. it's scary. It's actually, I mean, that's one of the things we need to do is bring it down to, very basic language yeah. that everybody can understand, you know, it's like you don't need to be a scientist to understand this, you yeah. know, or to take the actions you need to, to be able to deliver a better outcome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something we all need to solve for. I mean, you know, sustainability is the heart of what Unilever, you know, is here to, you know, part of our, you know, core um, business mission is to deliver a more sustainable future. Um, and that has to apply to media as well as the products, you know, that we're producing as well. So, And I think that's such an important message is sometimes just don't get lost. Put those principles of sustainability at the core, which uh, Unilever do. Well, thank you for thank you for that insight. We are coming up for time now. And as you know, Sarah, because you're the first person who has done this already or for once before, we finish every episode of the Meaningful Media podcast with... Your meaningful media fast five. Now, I do not to create anxiety in you, but I do have your previous answers in front of me. I'm going to try and be different. So, well, this is this is going to be really interesting, right? Because it's the first time we've done this. So, uh, let's go. You ready? What's your meaningful media right now today? I'm going to say cinema. 
Ooh, interesting. Have you been? Have you been seeing Barb and Barbenheimer? Or Barbie Oppenheimer. Barbie Barbenheimer. Oh, Barbenheimer. Bar- yeah. I mean, Barbie is very interesting. You know, from a, um, an advertising perspective, it's branded content. Yes, it is. It is branded content. Fundamentally, you know, so uh, which would have started on a piece of paper as part of a marketing strategy somewhere. Great example of how to produce really great branded content, but it will do for the brand as a whole. That similar to the Red Bull model. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been quite a lot of discourse online around, similar to the Red Bull, that's really interesting. There's been a lot of discourse online about, oh, they spent, you know, quite a lot of money on the marketing for this, not understanding that, uh, perhaps not understanding that, um, which uh, you've just focused us on, that marketing investment it, it isn't only around this piece of content, it's around the brand behind the content. Mm-hmm. And this branded content that's spearheading um, Barbie. So, yeah, yeah, really. But, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, it's, you know, it's a real talk about, talking earlier about how do you, how do brands cut through this melee of you know kind of noise that there is out there online and um you know this is you know, it's just a great success story in that respect yeah one of the things they do is is they start to get into content or back into content because of course the reason we call soap operas soap operas is that they were originally funded by uh, by soap brands. soap brands what's the media that you start your day with well i think it's a double really i kind of i Obviously, my my phone's pretty much the first thing I probably pick up to check and see um, what messages I've I've got that've come in overnight because I turn my phone off at night or I turn it to silent. Very disciplined of you. Yeah, and then I turn the radio on. Interesting. First thing in the morning. Linear radio, or or do you sort of listen to a podcast or something? No, it, well DAB, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm a classic radio four girl. You see, I kind of like my news in the morning. Got to start the day with the Today program. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, do you want to know what your answers were last time? Go on. BBC News for the headlines, sometimes The Guardian, but you also, as you said last time, you start the day with with the Today programme. You turn the radio. Go. Go. There you go. So what media do you turn to or are you turning to at the moment when you're looking to get inspired? Pinterest. Okay. Interesting. But it depends what you mean by inspired, you see. So if I want to... Um, Good clarification. Inspired for like new ideas, yeah, or yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been doing you know sort of quite a few things on the look at boring is it garage doors? That's not boring. It's you know not the front of the one at the back, not the front. So it's kind of a secondary door onto the garden. So kind of like looking at interesting doors. Uh, are you going with anything in particular? It's kind of cottagey sort of look or cottage core. I might go for a stable kind of you know the split doors. Very nice. Yeah, sort of like the the. Stable barn kind of thing. Yeah, stable the barn one. thing. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether it's that practical though. Anyway, but uh, but I'm using Pinterest to kind of inspire me on that. And obviously recipes. I always go to Pinterest. I can't often. It's good good source of recipes as well. So what about your uh, media guilty pleasure? What's your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure. I struggle with this one because I don't think any media is a real guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. I think because you're in the industry, it's like you're kind of a must it's all, have, Yeah, it's all it? research. It's all research. Yeah, it's all research. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. But do you mean a, do you mean a, um, what am I watching? I'm going back watching Happy Valley at the moment. Interesting. Happy Valley is quite elevated. What are you um, slightly sort of... Um, I'll, I'll That's not te- a guilty pleasure that you're saying. Yeah, I'll te- so I'll tell you mine. Sewing B. Does that tick in that box? Uh, I, I, you know, could could do. It's very, I, yeah, I think that's that's um, 
my my guilty pleasure at the moment is uh, I'm uh, watching a lot of camping videos on YouTube. Oh my god, that yeah. is actually something you don't usually admit to. Oh well, why? I, you know, I just one because like I haven't been camping for ages, and also you sort of go down the YouTube YouTube algorithm rabbit hole, right? Of kind of gradually more uh, more interesting and extreme extreme camping. Extreme camping. You know what? We'll, extreme. What is extreme uh, camping? I, I think we'll ju- let's just move on. Actually, so <laughs> you've got one media platform for the rest of your life. Which is it, and why? Blimey, it'd have to be a news platform, probably the FT. The FT. Oh, I'm starting very highbrow today. Very, very highbrow. Worried about this. I'm very worried. No, because my other guilty pleasure is I just, I'm, I'm just giving away my guilty pleasures. Is the comment section below the line in the FT, which I think is sometimes more interesting than the articles. Oh. I didn't really look at those. Oh, honestly, check it out. You're in for some. You're in for a ride. Okay, will do. Sarah, thank you so much for being the first guest in our Media Leaders uh, series. We appreciate you, and thank you so much for coming on the Meaningful Media Podcast. Pleasure. Thank you, Ben. It's a bit like saying, "Going to play does uh, does Ireland disc now?" Are you? I feel that. That's a great place to finish. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. A big thanks to my fantastic guest for joining me and thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on all things meaningful media, the media that matters. Drop us a mail at podcast at havasmg.com. That's podcast at havasmg.com. Please do subscribe, like, and share the Meaningful Media podcast on your preferred platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. And you can follow us on our socials, all addresses in the show notes. Once again, Thanks. Join me, Ben Downing, soon for more perspectives on meaningful media.